You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Peter. We're calling Be Diligent. With this week's message, here's pastor to young adults, Caleb Carmichael. When my first child, Grayson, was born, I had zero idea what I was doing as a dad. I never changed a diaper, never given a bottle, felt completely overwhelmed, completely out of my element. And two and a half years later, I have a baby girl now and still feel completely out of my element, completely lost at what to do. But I remember as Grayson, as we got the first few weeks and months by and he started to sleep a little bit and started to kind of settle into a rhythm, I had this moment where I looked up and I realized, like, this is, this is my son. I get to do all of these fun things with him. I get to pass on all of these things that I want him to know, right? I can't wait till he grows up a little bit and I get to teach him how to shoot a basketball or teach him how to ride a bike. Like, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. And, and you know, then, then last week when it snowed, it was the first time he really got to, like, appreciate the snow and play in it. And so I'm like, we're going to learn how to have a snowball fight and maybe, like, throw some at mom. But, so we get out there and we, like, start teaching him how to make snowballs. But all it really turned into is him grabbing handfuls of snow and throwing it up over his head and then falling down on him until he was completely frozen. But he was having so much fun. I was like, do you want to go inside? You're, you're frozen. He's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, okay, let's keep playing. And that's probably really bad parenting. I don't know. But he had a blast. I can't wait. The Super Bowl's today. I can't wait to teach him to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. <clears throat> because James tells us that we should consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds. And so, so I want to him to experience the joy of that suffering with me, right? I, I'm looking forward to that. But then there's some bigger things, maybe some more important things that I'm looking forward to teaching my son. I can't wait to show him what it looks like to be compassionate, or maybe his mom to teach him that one. I can't, can't wait to, to teach him what it looks like to include those who are on the outside. And then there's some things that, that maybe I'm not great at that I hope he learns better than me, what it looks like to be humble and kind in ways that I, I am not. And see, maybe you've done the same with your kids. If you're a parent in here, maybe you've looked at them and you say, I can't wait to teach them some things. Because these are the things that I know is going to set them on a path that's going to lead them to success. I want them to know these things because I know where it will take them. And maybe for you, it's your parents. They've poured some advice into you, or maybe it was your grandparents or a mentor, a teacher who given you some advice that's just lasted with you for your entire life. See, my, my grandmother did that with me. She gave me some advice. I called her Mamo, and Mamo taught me a lot of things, but one thing that stuck with me is, is something she never actually said with words. It was just the way that she lived her life. She set this example, and I wanted to take that with me and give it to my kids. It's this. My Mamo always made everyone feel important. She always made everyone who was in her life feel like they were the most important person in the world. If you were at her house, anything you wanted. She always wanted you to feel like the most important person. And that's something that I've wanted to take and pass on to my kids. And I've been thinking, okay, these are the things I want my kids to know. These are the lessons that I want them to remember. And so as we continue in our series this morning in 2 Peter, what I think you'll catch a feel for is Peter doing the same thing with us as believers that he knows his time on earth is coming to an end. And you can read a little bit about that in John 21, that Jesus tells him, hey, this is, this is how you're going to die. He alludes to that. And so, so Peter, whether through that encounter or through a separate encounter, knows that his time on earth is short, that he's about to die. And so he sits down to write out his advice for believers. These are the things that I want to make sure you remember. These are the things that I want to pass on to the future generations. 
So if you have your copy of Scripture, I'd invite you to open to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. If you're following along in your paper Bible, that is great. If you are um, using the YouVersion Bible app, using the event, you can follow along there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back room on either side. We would love for you to take one of those and grab it and keep it with you. It's our gift to you. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter starts by saying this. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Notice how often he emphasizes remembering. I'm going to always remind you. I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. Why? So that you can recall. He's trying to say, guys, please don't forget these things. These things are essential. And what are these things? It's the things he's outlined in the first 11 verses. So if you missed last week, you can go online and catch back up. But here's a short verse, and in verses 5 through 7, he gives us this list. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have faith, and to that faith you need to add virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And Peter gives us this list not as a checklist of things to do to make God happy or to keep us out of trouble with him, He's saying, no, 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 this is simply how God's kingdom, this upside-down kingdom functions. That if you want your life to matter, if you want your life to count, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be effective in God's kingdom, these are the things that you need to remember. If you'll notice, this isn't a rebuke from Peter when he's writing these words. He's He's not mad or angry saying, you've forgotten them, now you need to come back and remember them. No, he says, I know you already know these things. He's saying, you are established in these things. You're you're doing them. This isn't new information for you, but what I want to make sure you can do is remember them. Because honestly, this list probably isn't new information for us in this room either. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you would look at that list and say, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Like, I'm supposed to have self-control and I'm supposed to love people. And even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're new to this church thing and you're just checking it out or someone just dragged you here this morning, you would look at this list and say, yeah, followers of Jesus should look like this. They don't always, but they probably should. Because what I know and I think what you know is true is that it's not that we needed to know that list. It's that we needed to remember that list. It's really easy to know those things. It's a whole other thing to live those things out, to keep them at the front of our minds, to, to practice those things. And so, as Peter's giving us this list, I think for some of us, we're like, yeah, I I do two or three of those pretty well, but eh, maybe some of them I don't. And I think that's pretty common for all of us. But what I think Peter has in mind is this harmony between them, that that we would keep all of these things in balance as we strive to follow Jesus and as we grow in our faith in him. There's an artist and a writer um, that I follow. His pen name is A Writer in the Word. And he wrote this short book called Living Slow. And in this book, he talks about the very thing that Lance introduced last week, that we're living in this epidemic of hurry and busyness. And in in this book, Living Slow, he's saying this isn't just about having a full calendar. In fact, there's not even necessarily something wrong with a full calendar. But what he's saying is it's the state of our soul, that we're living at this pace of hurry and anxiousness and worry, that even when we have nothing to do, we just can't help but look forward to the next thing that we're doing. 
And in this, this book, he's pointing out that so often our spiritual lives get out of balance because of this hurry or this busyness that, that in fact, we're designed to live in this way. And he gives us this chart that I hope is helpful for you. He says that as we follow Jesus, part of our faith journey is there's three big elements, three big aspects of this journey. One of it is, is having knowledge. So God's word up there on the top of this chart. He says, you need to know what God's word says. He says, but it doesn't just stop there. We're supposed to have this experiential side of our faith, this, this side where we interact with the Holy Spirit, where we walk by the Spirit, where we spend time in prayer, where we spend time in worship. But not only that either, that we're meant to live in a community of believers, that the church, the church, is meant to be, we're meant to follow Jesus together. And so he says, if we only prioritize one of these things, we end up out of balance. If we only prioritize God's word, we end up with this superficial faith where we know a bunch of stuff, but we don't actually live it out. We don't do anything with it. Our faith is superficial. It says if we just live on the experiential side of faith, just the, this is my experience, this is what I, what I feel like, he said that can last you for a minute, but what happens is our feelings change moment by moment, day by day, and the moment something happens, we're left with the subjective faith that's not anchored in truth. And he says, if you don't do either of those, but all you worry about is the community side of things, then you just end up with the social club. And he says, and if you put two of them together, it's good, but still not whole. You're half mature. So that's why we as a church, we want to raise up mature disciples of Jesus. We say that's our mission. That's what we're trying to accomplish, mature disciples. So when you look at that chart, we have opportunities for you to grow in any of these areas. That's why on a Sunday morning in a service, we're going to open God's word so that we can grow in our knowledge of him. That's why we have midweek Bible studies where we can get in a smaller group and really engage with scripture and learn what it means to study it on your own. But we also want you to connect. That's why we have these things called ABFs. It stands for Adult Bible Fellowship. It's a big churchy sounding word where you're going to be in a smaller group of around 20 to 30 people. You're going to open God's word, but you're going to connect with each other. We have that during what we call a connecting hour, because that's the goal for us, is we want you to connect with believers. We have community groups that meet in homes throughout our city with a focus on relationships and building these connections. We do that for a reason, because we know that we're not meant to follow Jesus alone. But even then, we, we want you to experience Jesus. That's why we, we would encourage you to pray. That's why we'd encourage you, and we have this service where we open up the service with music. Because there's something about music and there's something about song that connects our heart with God in ways that other things can't. So we want you to experience the presence of God. That's why we, we encourage you to serve here in the church and out in our community. Not because we want anything from you. We want something for you. Because there's something about stepping outside of your comfort zone and serving and giving up of your life and giving yourself away that you really find life and your faith grows. So I remember the first time I started serving in church, I was about 18 or 19, and I started volunteering as a sixth grade guy's small group leader. And um, I was completely out of my element, completely had no idea what I was doing. And so I thought, I'm like, I have to have all the answers. I have to be this cool. Like, I have to do everything right. And I show up the first day, and they thought I was completely lame. And they asked a question, and I didn't know the answer. And I'm like, I am awful at this. But what happened is they asked a question I didn't know. I had to go look up the answer. So I came back next week and I knew the answer. They still thought I was lame. But what happens is over time, as I began to invest in their lives, they began, they didn't really care that I was lame. They cared that I showed up in their lives. And what happened is it, my faith grew, my faith got bigger, and I experienced the presence of God giving me the power to do those things in those moments. That's why we ask you to serve. Because we think it's, your faith is going to grow. 
And so you look at this list and, and you see all of these things and how they're meant to work together. They're not meant to be in isolation. And I think this is what Peter has in mind when he's saying, remember these things. You know them. You're established in them. They're, they might even seem like common sense, but let's live them out together. And then Peter, in verse 16, he transitions to his authority in saying these things. So he's saying, I'm telling you all this, but, but it's not just because I think I'm right. It's here's why I have the authority to speak into your life in this way. Verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. See, Peter's beginning to address some of the false teachers that we'll hear more about next week in chapter 2. And what he's saying is, this thing, these things we're telling you about Jesus, we didn't make them up. This isn't just some myth. This isn't some clever system. This isn't like our own way to con people or to get something out of it. He says, no, we're not trying to get anything from you. In fact, I'm about to die for this thing, right? I'm not lying about it. And if you've read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and you've seen Peter interact with Jesus, you know that Peter isn't the one who's going to take this bold stand for something he doesn't believe in. He's the same guy who denied even knowing Jesus the moment Jesus was arrested. He ran when it cost him something. So something must have happened. Something must have changed for Peter that now he's looking and saying, you know what? No, this is what I'm anchoring my life on. Jesus is what I'm doing here. And so verse 17 and 18, what he's doing is he's referring to this moment called the transfiguration. It's this moment when Jesus goes up on a mountain right before he's about to die. And he brings with him Peter and James and John, his closest disciples. And something incredible happens. That these three disciples, they get to catch a glimpse of God's glory, of Jesus's glory. Jesus is changed. He's transfigured. He's glowing. He's radiant. And then what's even crazier is Elijah and Moses show up and they begin talking with Jesus. And you can read about this story in several of the gospels, but we're going to look at Luke's account this morning for just a moment. It's in Luke chapter nine, if you want to flip there. If not, it's going to be on the screens behind me. So Peter in this moment has just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus has just told his disciples he's going to die, but then be raised. They don't get it. But then he's saying, okay, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your own cross. And the disciples are like, that sounds hard. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. Jesus. And then we get this moment from Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 27, he says, But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And what he's alluding to is this moment on the mountain that's about to happen. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And this word departure is the same word that Peter just used back in 2 Peter to describe his own coming death. See, Peter is cluing us into this account of Jesus. And, and it seems weird to me that Jesus would say, this is the departure I'm about to accomplish. He's saying, this is the death that I'm about to accomplish. And that seems weird to me because I'm not trying to accomplish death. I'm trying to avoid it. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm talking about this departure that I am going to accomplish. And if you'll hang with me here, I'm going to nerd out for just a second. And I apologize if you're not a nerd like me, but it's, it's so cool. Okay. This departure this word departure that Peter uses when he's quoting Jesus up on this mountain is this Greek word, exodos. 
which reminds me of this other Exodus story in Scripture that you have way back in the beginning. It's a story of God rescuing his people, of bringing them up out of bondage and slavery and delivering them through the waters where it seemed impossible, where it seemed like there was no way God made a way that he could bring his people out of slavery and give them life and give them freedom. And I think in this moment on the mountain, Jesus is talking about how his own departure, his death, his exodus will not accomplish just a physical rescue, but a spiritual rescue as well. That all of us in this room, that all of humanity has been in bondage and slavery to our sin, that all of our pain and heartbreak, our mistakes and regrets are due to our rebellion and humanity's rebellion against God but that God in his love and his mercy and through the death of Jesus accomplished something that we could never accomplish on our own. That the cross, what seemed like the greatest defeat was actually the greatest victory because death could not hold him. And that when Jesus walked out of the grave alive on the third day, that he came to rescue me and he came to rescue you from the bondage of slavery and give us a life of freedom. And that by simply trusting in Jesus for our salvation, we can be free. We can be made righteous. We can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And see, that's what changed Peter. Because shortly after this, he would see his Messiah die, but he would see him come alive again, and it changed everything. See, that this departure that Jesus was about to accomplish was ushering in this reign of a new kingdom, God's kingdom, and it's here, but it's not fully realized yet but it's coming one day. And that this is a taste of what Peter got to see on the mountain. That he's beginning to anchor his life in this experience that he had on the mountain saying, I've seen God's kingdom. I've seen it coming. And it's not a myth. It's not made up. It's real. It's Jesus. And he's coming again. And what a day that will be. And he says, if that's not enough to convince you, I have more. Verse 19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is this prophetic word that Peter is speaking about in verse 19? It's the Scriptures. When Peter's writing, it's the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. We would say today it's the entire Bible, it's the entire word of God. But Peter is saying that we as followers of God have had these words. We've had these scriptures. We've had these prophecies. We've had these declarations. We've had them and we've trusted in them. And we've been longing for this day when this Messiah, this Savior is going to come. We've been looking forward to this day, trusting that what the prophet said in this book is true. And now, now, because of Jesus, they're here. Because of Jesus, we know that not only were these prophets true now, but we can really trust them because they've said he's coming and he's here. They're confirmed in the work of Jesus. If you're a fan of the Bible Project, they have this tagline that I love. They say, Scripture is this unified story that leads to Jesus. That everything in here is telling this one big story that all points to Jesus. And they get that because Jesus actually said that about himself. You can read about it in Luke 24. There's this moment after Jesus has come back to life. Um, his disciples have heard. They think maybe this is true, that Jesus is alive, but they don't really know what to think. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on this road, walking next to them, begins to talk to them about himself and the scriptures. They don't realize it's him at first. And Jesus says this. He said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. 
Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is saying, all of these things, all of Moses, all of the prophets, they're all pointing to me. A few verses later, he continues, and he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms would be fulfilled, that everything in here pointing to me. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written. So everything that is written is about this, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem that this is all about Jesus and his work and his life, his death, his resurrection, so that we can experience life. And again, it's simply by placing your faith in him. You don't have to say a magic prayer. You don't have to clean your life up first. You simply, right where you're sitting, trust in Jesus for your salvation. And he'll give you life, make you right with God. And so Peter's saying because of these truths, because we have this prophetic word and because it's confirmed in the life of Jesus, you should pay attention to it. It says, please pay attention to what this book says. Please pay attention to the words on these pages. See, Peter knew that his experience with Jesus on the mountaintop anchored his faith. He says, I've seen Jesus. I walked with him. I was there for his ministry and his miracles. I was there up on this mountain with him. I've had an experience of Jesus that's changed my life. And if you're here in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, you could probably say the same thing. You could look back on your life and say, I've had an experience with Jesus that has changed my life. And maybe you anchor your faith in those moments. You look back and you can see it, Jesus working all throughout your life. You say, this is where I'm planting my flag. This is why I know this is true. And Peter says, I agree with you. I'm with you. But it doesn't stop there. He says, not only do my experiences anchor me, but the word of God, just as important as my experience is the truth of scripture because Peter knew that experiences may fade, but the word of God will remain forever. But can I be honest with you for a second? For a lot of my life, this book wasn't something I wanted to pay attention to. And it's not because I had anything against it, actually, right? I I would read it pretty often. See, I've been a follower of Jesus most of my life. I believed the words in the Bible were important because like people said they were important, right? Like it's God's word. That sounds pretty important. I should probably pay attention to it, but I just, I didn't really want to because honestly it was, it was intimidating or boring or confusing or all of those things at the same time. So I'd open it up and I would try to read it and I would just feel lost. And I think it's because I had a bad approach to scripture. I came about it the wrong way. Think of it like this. My wife is an incredible baker. She's phenomenal, makes the best cinnamon rolls you'll ever have in your life. She's so good. I mean, I am a terrible baker. Can't bake. It's awful. Um, I love to cook because with cooking, you can have some freedom, right? You get to like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you can make this wonderful dish. With baking, you can't do that. You have to be precise, and you have to like measure, and it's just so boring, and I don't like it. I hate it. But my wife, she loves to bake. She's so good. But I remember when we first got married, we'd been married a couple of months, and I mean, we're sitting at home watching TV, and, and Sam, she says, you know, I would, I would love some snickerdoodle cookies. And I'm like, here's my chance. Newly married husband, I'm going to be husband of the year. I'm like, let me serve you. I'm going to bake you some snickerdoodle cookies. And like, she's smart enough to in that moment be like, that's probably not a good idea, but okay, thank you. 
And so I go into the kitchen and I start getting out the things that I think you need for cookies. So I get out the flour and the eggs and the butter and the sugar. And she's like, you need baking soda or powder, one of them. I, I don't know, but she tells me which one I need. So I grab some of that. I grab cinnamon because I know that's in Snickerdoodle cookies. And I, I do what no baker in their right mind does is I just take the big tub of flour and I start like dumping it in the bowl. And I'm like, that looks good. And I grab the sugar and... Well, it looks good too. Egg or two in there, some butter. Mix it all up, right? And I get all the cookies out of the pan and I throw them in the oven. And Sam at this point is just terrified. He's like, what did he just do? And I'm gonna have to like eat that because he's trying to be nice. And so timer goes off. We open the oven. We pull these cookies out and we get them off the tray and we take a bite. And guys, let me tell you, they were the best cookies, the best cookies you've ever had. And in that moment, I am so proud and I'm so arrogant. I'm like, Baking's easy. Why do you do all that measuring stuff? Like, all you got to do is put stuff in a bowl and you get cookies. Like, this is, this is pretty simple, right? Until, until a few days go by, she's like, hey, can you make me some more of those cookies? I'm like, yep, no problem. Go and get the flour, put it in, sugar, everything, put it in the oven. Bring the tray back out and out comes not cookies, but cookie because they had all like melted into one giant thing on the pan. Uh, we couldn't pick them up, so we had to get a spatula and like scrape it off the pan, but, but they weren't burned. They were just like concrete. So like when you took a bite, your teeth stuck together. Uh, they, they were awful. The worst cookies you've ever had in your entire life. And it's fairly obvious but it's because I took a bad approach to baking, right? Baking takes a certain approach to be effective. Yeah, I might have gotten lucky once and made some good cookies, but there's no way I could repeat it. There's no way I could actually do that sustainably and be a baker, right? If you want to bake well, you have to have the right approach, and I think for so much of my life, I've taken a bad approach when it comes to Scripture. See, maybe this is, this is how I viewed Scripture throughout my life, and maybe you can relate to some of these things. See, for so often, I just viewed this as nothing more than a rule book, right? Like there's a list of things I can do and a list of things I can't do in here. And as long as I do these things right and I don't do these things, then everything's going to be great. And all the other stuff in here is like, I don't know, just follow the rules, Right? That was my approach, and so if it's not telling me a rule, then I don't know what it's telling me. Or, and then later, sometimes in my life, I viewed this as nothing more than like my place to go for an inspirational quote or a motivational speech, right? I'm having a bad week or a bad month, and I'm stressed out. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to open this up and find the first thing that sounds good. Well, that doesn't sound good. Let me find something else. Well, that doesn't sound good. So let me Google best Bible verses about this, and you get like some really feel-good ones, and you're like, yes. That's my verse, right? And so I claim that verse and it makes me feel better for the moment. Like that's how I view scripture. Like I wouldn't actually read the thing. I would just grab a verse here or there to try to make me feel better. And then other times I've viewed it as, as an encyclopedia or Wikipedia. Like I have a question about life. So like, what do we all do? We Google it and then go to Wikipedia, right? And so like, okay, I have a question about life. This is supposed to be about life. So I open it up and I'm like, this doesn't talk about what I'm looking for. It's really big. I don't feel like searching the whole thing. So I don't know. Maybe it's not the best encyclopedia. And then I got to seminary. Really, all I viewed this as was a systematic theology textbook, right? This is nothing more than how I gain my system of understanding who God is. And it's very cut and dry. It's very academic. There's no life in it. Now, see, I'm not saying that scripture can't do all of the things that I just said. I, I do think that it offers rules that offers wisdom for how we should live life. I do think that there is some inspiration in this book. I think it's the most inspirational book of all time. I think it's incredible. We should be motivated and inspired by what's in here. I do think it speaks to life 
better than any other book. I think it gives us wisdom for things, but maybe not in the way that we would expect it to. And I do think it can help us develop theology. It can do all of those things, but I don't think approaching Scripture by, with just one of those is the most helpful way, the best approach to viewing Scripture. So what I'd like to do is share with you maybe the, the approach that I've been taking lately that has been incredibly helpful for me, and hopefully it can be helpful for you. So the way I've, I've shifted to thinking about Scripture is thinking about it, and maybe the way that it was intended when it was written is to think about it as meditative literature. Meditative literature. And here's what I mean by that. When I say meditative, some of you are instantly like putting your guard up because you're thinking like, new age, I'm going to like sit here in the stage and like go home. Right now, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm not saying clear your mind because often today when we say meditate, we think clear our minds. No, I'm saying fill your mind. Meditate on, think about, rethink about, turn it over in your mind, read a passage and then reread it and then reread it again. Push and prod with what you're reading. When you feel some tension, don't just dismiss it or, or skim over it. No, sit and wrestle with that tension. And then when you think you have it all figured out, do it all over again. Right? And when I've done that, when I've taken the time to meditate on what Scripture is saying, instead of just reading it or approaching it in one of those other ways, Scripture has come alive. You begin, you begin to see these cross-references, these hyperlinks where one author is referencing another and they're making this point together and they're doing this thing that's really incredible. You see the beauty and the design of how it's orchestrated and you see the authors inviting you into this tension because our God's not scared of our questions, right? And so they, the authors, they don't try to answer everything. In fact, they leave some out on purpose to invite you in. They want you to think about what this means about our God and who he is. And as you meditate and as you wrestle, what you begin to see is God's character coming out, his character of compassion and mercy and love. You open it up and you discover new insights every time that there's always something more. And what happens is instead of feeling like a chore or feeling like a checklist, reading scripture becomes fun. And I know I'm a nerd, but I promise it becomes fun. Because see, this book is unique from other books. Right? It says of itself that it's living and it's active, that there's something supernatural about the words on these pages. That it's more than just an instruction manual that you read once and you get all of the information and you know it. It says as you spend time with it, as you spend time turning these words over in your mind, that it's going to do something to you and it's going to do something in you. And even when you don't feel it, or even when you, feel, you walk out feeling a little bit confused, or like I don't have all the answers, that it's working in you. But you have to spend time with it. And I think that's what Peter has in mind when he says, pay attention to it. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And this lamp shining in a dark place, it reminds me of this psalm, Psalm 119, 105, and it says this, it says, your word, scripture, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And here's maybe another poor approach I've taken to Scripture throughout my life. See, I've wanted the Bible to be my Google Maps, right? Like, I have a destination in mind of where my life is supposed to be in 20 years. And so, God, show me how to get there, right? I plugged in my destination, so I'm going to read your Bible so that I can get to where I want to go. And what I want you to do, God, is I want you to give me turn-by-turn -turn directions, and I want you to show me the whole path laid out so that I can see it and I can get to where I want to go. See, I wanted the Bible to be Google Maps, but instead what it's offered me is a lamp on a path. So imagine with me for a second that you're in the woods and it's 
dark, maybe kind of like this, and you're on a path, and you can't see very well, and you feel a little lost, you feel a little confused, you're like, I don't know where to go, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to trip and fall, I'm going to get hurt, until you have a lamp. And then this lamp, what it can do is it's going to shine just a few feet in front of you, it's going to be a light Lamp to your feet and a light to your path. So imagine you're in the woods and you're on this dark trail and you start to walk and you bring this lamp and you hold it up high in front of you and you're trying to see. And, and what you really wish you could see was like the entire path to get where you're going. But, but that's not what you have. You just have a lamp. And so as you're walking, you're like holding this out and looking down at where the lamp is leading and where it's guiding and where the light is shining so you can get down these steps and I can make it along my path. And what happens is, is I can't really sprint through the trail, I kind of have to go slowly. I have to walk with this light because I have to let the light lead me and guide me. You can turn the lights on back there. See, this, this lamp is a slow way of making it through a trail. It's a slow way of living. It's not going to show you the entire thing, but I think, I think this is a better way. Because, see, I know that the moment God gave me a Google Maps for my life and says, here's what your life is going to look like in 10, 20, 50 years from now is the exact same moment I'm setting this lamp down and I'm running off on my own. Because I'm saying, I don't need you anymore. If I can see everything, I'm good on my own. I don't need your word. I don't need your spirit to guide me. I don't need your community of believers to live with. I I don't need any of that. I'm good on my own. But God in his grace and in his mercy doesn't let me do that. He forces me to slow down. And in his grace, he doesn't force this on me. He doesn't say, you have to take this. I'm free to set this down and walk away. But every single time I've done that in my life, I've crashed and burned. He invites us. He says, let me lead you. But I'm going to do it like a lamp on a path. It's going to be slow. It's going to be step by step. It's going to be moment by moment. Just like Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer that we ask for daily bread, it's this idea that we need to return to Jesus every single day. That he's not going to give us enough to sustain us for a week or a month or a year or a lifetime. No, that every single day we return. And so Peter is saying, pay attention. Pay attention. And here's how this mindset has has helped me. See, there's a difference between memorization and meditation. And I think it's an important thing to memorize scripture. I think memorizing scripture is a great thing to have verses that you've stored away for a moment in need that you can bring to mind. I I think we should memorize scripture. But so often for me, what happens is when I memorize scripture is I I put it down on like a little index card and I like try to memorize it and I'm good for like a week and then I pull that index card back out and I'm like, oh, I've forgotten half the words. Okay, let me memorize them again. Okay, got it, good, and put it back away. I never actually think about it. I never meditate on it. I never question it. I never wrestle with it. I just have it memorized. I have it in my head, but not my heart. And one of the passages that, has, that I've been meditating on for a few years now that, is, that has changed so much about my faith, is, it's found in Exodus. It's Exodus 34, it's verses 6 and 7. It's just two short verses, and, and I have them memorized, but not because I set out to memorize them, but because I've meditated on them over and over and over again. See, what's really cool about these verses, it's the first time God describes his character to us. It's the first time God, in his own words, says, I want you to know these things about me. And what's so cool is he says, the first word that God uses to describe himself is, I'm compassionate. Not I'm powerful or I'm angry or I'm, it's, no, no, compassionate. That's what I want you to know about me. He goes on to say, he's merciful and gracious 
He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I've thought about that, and I've turned that verse over in my mind and says, what is that saying about God that this is how he views himself? And how do I think about God? Because it's not, it doesn't always line up with that. And, and so if there's a disconnect here, what does that mean? Maybe I'm wrong, or maybe I've experienced something that I thought was God and it wasn't. And so, so I've meditated on these verses. And I'm going to be honest, the more I've meditated on Scripture, the more I've approached Scripture in this meditative way, there are some things in my life that have become less clear. Right? There are some issues that maybe five years ago I would have you know, died on that hill, but now I'm not so sure. And I'm wrestling with the tension of what it means to live in those things. But what has become more and more and more abundantly clear the more I meditate on Scripture is who my God is. He's a God of love and mercy, of compassion and grace. And the more that I've spent time meditating on these words, the more I see it pointing back to Jesus, that Jesus is the ultimate, that not only does he save me from my sin in eternity, that he walks with me today in the day-by-day moments of life, that everything in this book is about him and his goodness. And so that I might not know what's coming next on my path. I might not be able to see around the next bend. I might not know what my life looks like in 10 years or in five years or even next week. And I might live in complete uncertainty about what my future and my plan and my circumstances are going to be, but I can rest in knowing who my God is, that he's a God of compassion, that he's a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so all I have to do today is just look to Jesus. I have to look to where he is leading me. I have to walk by his spirit in community with his believers, look to his word to be a lamp to my feet. I don't get the whole path, but I get today. So how can I trust Jesus today? See, and Peter saw this thing, saw this too. He says, pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place until, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That morning star he's referring to is Jesus, and he's calling forward to this day at the end of time when Jesus is going to return, and he's going to fully establish his kingdom. And in this kingdom, there's going to be no more tears and no more suffering, no more pain and no more regret. He says, that day is coming, and what a glorious day it's going to be. But until then, pay attention here. And he says, just in case you have any doubts left, So just in case you're thinking I'm saying this all on my own, verse 20, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying that through the Holy Spirit, God is working with and through the human authors to write and to organize and to preserve these words, and that because they are from God and because they're from the Holy Spirit, that you can trust them. They're reliable. They're trustworthy. These are worth anchoring your life on. So maybe you're here and you're thinking, that all sounds great, Caleb, but now like, what do I do? Right? I'm, I'm always a practical person. I'm like, yeah, cool. Now what? Let's go back to this chart for just a minute. Maybe for you, you're here and you, you would look at this. And as we're trying to hold these three areas of our faith in tension, as we're trying to keep them together, we're trying to live right in the middle of, of the experiential side of God's spirit and the knowledge side of God's word and, and the relational side of God's community. We're trying to do all of these things together. Maybe you look at your life and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a little out of balance. Right? Maybe for you, it's, I, I need to grow in my knowledge. I need to know more about what God's word says and the truth that he offers. See, that's why we, we have Bible studies in the middle of our week, you can jump in and learn more about scripture. Or maybe for you, that looks like coming to the culture conference. 
where we're going to open God's word and, and look at the truth of scripture and see how that truth plays out in our real world with real issues that you and I are dealing with and we don't know what to do with. So let's turn to God's word. Maybe for you, that's what it looks like to grow in knowledge. Maybe for you, it's, it's God's spirit. It's the experiential side of things. You're like, I don't know, that feels a little mushy, not tangible. I don't like that. I like the concrete, right? I like God's word because I can see what it says. And God's spirit, I don't know. So maybe for you, it means next week when we show up and we're singing that, that you're engaged, that you're worshiping, that you're singing, right? I can't sing, but I love when we open up, when we worship together through song because I connect with God in a new way. Maybe for you, that's, that's this week, you're gonna spend time just in prayer, just by yourself in the quiet. You're gonna sit and, and pray to God and maybe just in silence to let God speak to you. Or maybe you're gonna maybe try something like fasting where you're gonna practice that, that discipline of self-control and where you're gonna really have to rely on God's spirit to show up. Maybe you're gonna sign up to serve somewhere. You're like me who signed up to serve with sixth grade guys and like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but you're gonna say, you know what? I need to step out of my comfort zone and serve somewhere. You're going to go to Josh and say, how can I help with, with uh, Pine Cove City? You're going to go to the student ministry guys. You're going to go to Caleb and Owen and say, hey, hey, let me help you with student ministry. Maybe you're going to go greet out front. And you're like, I just want to make people feel welcome in these doors because people made me feel welcome before so that I could experience God's love. Maybe I want to give that to someone else. Maybe that's how you're going to experience your faith this week. And then maybe for you, you look at it and say, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good with God's word and, and I'm, I'm praying and I'm doing those things, but, but honestly, I'm just doing it by myself. Right? I'm, not, I'm not connected with any other believers. Right? So we, we have things like ABFs at 9.30 during a connecting hour where you can jump in and meet some people. We have community groups that meet in homes where, where we would love to invite you to join us in one of those. But maybe for you, it's, it's, it's less than that. It's just something like when you go to lunch today, you're going to be a little more intentional. We have discussion questions in your bulletin or in the event. And maybe you say, you know, we're just going to ask our family one of these questions together. And we're going to be a little more intentional about share, walking with Jesus in community with others. See, as I give you this list, what I don't want you to feel is overwhelmed. I don't want you to feel burdened or pressured. See, this is a lifelong journey. Don't feel like you say, I need to do all of these things at once. No, 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 that's not it. Just pick one and incorporate it slowly. And then one thing I think that we can all do is we can spend time meditating on scripture. We can take maybe perhaps a new approach to scripture. See, this approach to scripture isn't new, right? It was new to me, but it, it's been there for thousands of years. It's not a new approach to scripture. You think, okay, that sounds great. I want to meditate on scripture, but I have, I have no idea where to start because that's a big book. You're like, I don't know what to do. Here's maybe a few things that you could try this week. Maybe for you, it's you open up Exodus 34 and you just read verses six and seven every day this week and you meditate. You think about what it means about God. Maybe for you, if, if you follow along in, in the YouVersion app, if you go to that same app this week, they have Bible plans where you can pick a topic or something that you're interested in and it'll bring the scriptures up every single day for you to read and you can follow along with the plan. It guides you through that. And what's really cool is you can do that with friends. So you can do that in community. You can learn and grow together. If you're a Bible Project fan, they've just released a new app as well. It walks you through Scripture, and it helps point, you, point out some of the themes, some of these things that we've been talking about, how Scripture is all connected. It helps point them out so you develop these skills of reading Scripture on your own. Or if you're like, I just want a little more than that, go to the Gospel of John and just read a few verses and think about what it's saying about Jesus. Because John says, I wrote this so that you may believe in who Jesus is. 
See, we do all of these things. Peter's saying, remember these things, not so that we can check them off a list and not so that we can get God to do things for us. See, we do these things because these are the things that make us effective in God's kingdom. These are the things that give us life, real life and life to the full. See, these are the things that point us to Jesus and who he is because he is the living word. He is the light of our world and in him is life. So let's pay attention to Jesus this week. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.